What's up, everybody? Ryan Thomas here on the Thomas Take Sports Podcast. Once again, bringing you another edition of the show. We got a lot to discuss on today's show. We are joined by a recurring guest, but it's been a little bit. Greg Thompson of CoverOne.net and the Cover One Buffalo Podcast is joining me on the show today to talk all things Buffalo Bills free agency. We're going to get you primed and ready for free agency. Greg, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, appreciate it, Ryan. Really excited about it. It's a it's a fun time of year. I, I love the actual football and being able to watch the games, but all the fun of the moving chess pieces and rebuilding where a team could end up uh, is a lot of fun for for folks like us, and, and it drives good conversation. So, looking forward to our talk today. For sure, and it, it's awesome that you put it that way too. It's it's like putting the putting the chess pieces on the chessboard and moving them around and seeing what pieces fit, and usually. As was the case this past offseason where Buffalo got John Brown and Cole Beasley, those guys made their impact, and Buffalo's looking to bring in some more free agents that'll make you know an impact heading into 2020. And on the show today, I, I also want to you know figure out where your head is at as far as free agency, but first and foremost, we're a day removed from the Buffalo Bills bringing in a, a big-name free agent uh, by the name of Josh Norman. He signs a one-year deal. Uh, what were your thoughts on that deal, and how do you think Josh Norman will fit into this Buffalo Bills defense? So it's it's tough. I, I think it's absolutely a risk-reward kind of signing, and that there's a lot of folks out there who have laid out some good reasons why there should be concern. You know, he did not look great the last year or two in Washington. Um, the numbers of, you know, com- completion percentage allowed, his passer rating against, I know Joe Marino had quoted it at 114 and then 133 the last two years. You know, that's some ugly stuff. And that I think when you have a player who came into the league with some physical limitations. There's a reason he was a fifth-round pick. And then, in theory, you think on film you've seen him lose a step. That's a concern. Mm -hmm. And I I have to acknowledge that that's real. And I think that there's a 50-50 chance that this could go poorly and he's not going to be able to regain what's there. What I would say for Bills fans is that their reason for the other 50%, the other side of that coin, is there's a list of things that I think are in his favor. One, Washington's a terrible, terrible situation. It's a losing culture. It had a lame duck coach that was ready to be fired for two straight years. They had him in a man coverage scheme going against the number one receiver on the other team. It was putting him in a really poor position to succeed, and I don't want to accuse anyone of signing a monster deal and then getting fat and happy. But if it's going to happen, it would be signing for $75 million in Washington and then realizing it's a terrible place to be. (laughs) Right, right. So now if you, you know, bring him back to Buffalo where you're reuniting him with the coach who unlocked his best season and his all pro seasons there in Carolina with Sean McDermott and surrounding him with an amazing coverage back seven with Trey White, Jordan Boyer, Micah Hyde, and then from a linebacker standpoint, Termaine Edmonds and Matt Milano cover a ton of ground, you're putting him in a much better position to succeed where his veteran savvy and experience can matter more with his length that he already had in size, you know, maybe a little better tackler than Levi Wallace. So I, I do think that I'd warn anyone who's ready to wave the flag that this is some 
amazing slam dunk signing, mm-hmm. but I'd also temper people who are throwing their hands up frustrated that why did we pay him when he's been terrible? I think there's a chance we see some good football from him. I, I completely agree with that assessment. It's a 50-50 move, and the way I saw it was I really wanted Buffalo to go after him um, just in terms of the fact that, as you mentioned, Sean McDermott got his best football out of him, and he seems to really have a respect for Sean McDermott. And I remember dating back to when the Buffalo Bills brought in Brandon Bean, he tweeted, uh, Josh Norman tweeted something along the lines of, Buffalo, you got a real one, you got a gem. So talk about a guy that's that's already uh, trusting the process, addicted to the process, whatever you want to say. Uh, just the thought of Sean McDermott trying to get the last little bit of football Last little bit of juice out of Josh Norman paired with Trey White. Um, I think that's exciting, and, and that'll be something to definitely keep our eyes on come training camp. He'll definitely be somebody that the fans are really focusing in on. Absolutely, and we're going to find out quick, and I think the best reason for optimism is the risk is really low when you already have Levi Wallace, and I'm going to guess, and you know, you, you'll have the chance to talk about this in future pods. I think it's very likely we see a draft pick at corner and maybe mm-hmm. not even out of the question, another small signing that there's going to be plenty of a safety net that if we find out that, Hey, you know, we hate to see it, but the wheels fell off, man, tough luck. We can move on very easily. And that, uh, you know, put Levi Wallace right back in there um, or find that out in training camp and that, Hey, we want to give it a shot, but it's just not working. I'm also, you know, every single contract that's been announced sounds better when the agent leaks it than when the details of what Brandon Bean actually put together in the structure of the deal. So right. there's a chance there's a chance that if he doesn't make the 53-man roster, we're not in all that much trouble. Yeah, they, I, they haven't really fully released the full you know structure of it yet, and you know it and I know it. Brandon Bean likes to kind of cook things up within contracts that, hey, if, if you're not where you need to be come week one, we could get rid of you and, and not really you know, uh, split hairs over it. So that's going to be something to to be seen. And I think there's a lot of questions that fans have as far as what are we going to do as far as bringing back Jordan Poyer. There's been talk about him wanting to get an extension. Obviously, Brandon Bean has talked about Trey White. Um, kind of segueing from Josh Norman to Trey White, where do you see them, you know, extend it? When do you see them possibly extending Trey White? Do you see them extending him, you know, soon? Or, or do you think they'll wait and, and wait it out? So, I mean, obviously, anytime you're looking at interpreting things from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they're very careful when they're in the media. But I think they gave some pretty good indicators that – they are fully invested in free agency and the draft for this next, you know, 45 days. And that once that happens and they get the draft behind them, they want to immediately get into extensions and that matches up. That's exactly when they did Jerry Hughes extension last, last year. I think it was on May 11th. So Mm -hmm. you're talking a week or two after the draft, right right there, right afterwards, they now switch gears, get in, get through rookie mini camp, and get in there talking with the guys. Um, You know, obviously there's four candidates out there with Trey White being the most obvious, Deion Dawkins, Jordan Poyer, and Matt Milano. Um, I think we see, if I had to guess, I think we see Dawkins and Milano right off the bat. I think they work out a deal with both of them. They're happy to make them whole going forward. If it's up to the team, they'll absolutely get a deal done with Trey White. It all depends on what his representation wants, and he's in a weird spot where him, Marlon Humphrey in Baltimore, 
Marcus Lattimore in New Orleans right. and Jalen Ramsey in the Rams are all coming up on free agency at the same time, all coming up with their fifth-year option, all were first-round picks, all have played phenomenal. And I believe three out of the four have earned an all-pro nod in their first three years. Um, and it's going to be a kind of game of chicken of who wants to cash in on that huge extension first, who wants to set the market but risk that somebody else might leapfrog you by 0.1. You know, if, if Trey White signs for $16.5 million per year and then Jalen Ramsey gets 16.75, is Trey going to be upset about that? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's going right. to be up to them of what they value and do they want that, you know, because you never know. I mean, any of them could get hurt this coming year and, and damage that possibility. But if it's up to the team, I think they get a deal done. My guess is they do a – they're obviously going to exercise the fifth-year option on Trey. That's an automatic. That's a $10 million for 2021. And then I think they do four more years, and it might even get up to like $17.5 million per year. You know, that's four more years at $70 million. Right. More of a um, short – more of a three-, four-year deal – where he's making more money year to year rather than a long term, you know, spread out money deal. Not that four years is short, but you know, some of these guys might end up getting five, six year deals. Yeah, well, and I almost think it ends up looking like a five year deal with the the fifth year extension being added and then four more years added on. Right, but gives him an out where he's still going back into free agency before he's thirty. Yeah, that would be ideal. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Whenever I think of Trey White, I think of Stephon Gilmore. It's just how my brain works because they had Stephon Gilmore. He he went in free agency, and they replaced Stephon Gilmore with Trey White. And it's almost like, to me, Trey White has been everything that they could have hoped and dreamed for uh, as far as production, as far as reliability. And Stephon Gilmore, obviously, when he went to New England, he got paid. So there's that situation kind of thrown into it like, hey, you guys had a corner that you let go of. You brought me in. I did everything you guys asked of me, and then some. Now it's my turn. Now I'm, and then you throw in the the fact that you know you have a lot of other guys that were first round draft choices that are the best of the best, you know, in the league currently that will be due for contract extension. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how the the business side of that shakes out and how it'll affect you know Buffalo's cap year to year but their cap situation is is fairly good right now so they definitely have the money to to make those extensions work which is which is encouraging it's, Absolutely. Yeah, they have plenty of flexibility. Right. So as far as free agency goes, you know as as we were saying, you know we talked about Josh Norman, discussed Trey White a little bit. I think a key position that Buffalo Bills fans have have asked me about and I'm sure you have heard a ton about is the uh, wide receiver position uh, that the Buffalo Bills need to get some more weapons for Josh Allen and that while John Brown and, and Cole Beasley were were solid in their quote-unquote rookie seasons as Buffalo Bills um, they need some more they need they need some more flash to the offense they need they need a little bit more who is a, a free agent possibly I know that there'll be a lot of guys come draft time because this wide receiver class is is very loaded in this draft but who are some free agents that you could possibly see Buffalo say, "Hey, we'll 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 talk contracts." So it's interesting, and I, I think you pointed out the exact reason why you'll see my answer, and that is there's a historic draft class. I fully expect the Bills to draft two guys out of this draft class. I'd, I'd say two of our top four or five picks mm-hmm. will be wide receivers, in my estimation. Because of that, I don't expect them to go after 
the you know there's talented guys. I think Robbie Anderson's good. I think Emmanuel Sanders is good. I, I think there's talent that's out there that wouldn't be bad. But when you tell me I could draft T Higgins and Chase Claypool, or I could sign Robbie Anderson for twelve million a year, I'll take my chances with the rookie. Um, so there were a couple exceptions before the franchise tag announcement. I was intrigued by a short-term, maybe two-year deal uh, for A.J. Green. Mm -hmm. I thought that could have been interesting. I thought he was a great veteran and added that presence uh, from a deep ball and jump ball standpoint. Uh, With him off the market, I don't see anyone at the top end. There are four guys that are coming off of their rookie deals and were – for different reasons, whether there was some studs in front of them or they were just not in a good passing offense, they didn't really produce at their capacity, and I think there's a chance they could be of value. Um, there's a little bit of a knucklehead coming out of Cleveland and Rashard Higgins, but he's really talented. You got Demarcus Robinson, who's really fast and put up some, some blips here in Kansas City. You have Geronimo Allison, who had some moments, but you know, still had Devontae Adams and those guys in front of him in Green Bay. And the one that I really like is Tajay Sharp coming out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He's got some size. He had some moments. He actually was coming off of a really good year, his rookie year, and then got hurt in all of 2017. Right. And then they invested the fourth overall pick in Corey Davis and tried to force him the ball. And then A.J. Brown blew up this past year, and he just never really got a chance of what I think would have been a really good you know, opportunity. I think that's the kind of guy that you can bring in for three years and $10 million on a relatively cheap deal. And all of a sudden then still draft your one or two receivers and have a really nice room um, with depth beyond there. Cause you, I think you saw that towards the end of the year and pre-show we were talking about things, you know, the, with the Houston game and, and things like that. that right. You know, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is you saw, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Duke Williams guy. I think he's a great story. Right. I think he's very limited as an athlete. I think he's fun mm-hmm. and I, he's fun to root for, but I, I'd love to have a guy who can do that and get open and get separation. So that was my biggest takeaway from that playoff game was how much we needed additional weapons. And I think Cole Beasley and John Brown are great for what they do. And if we can bring in two, three more guys to have depth, to have rotation, to be able to give them a breather when they need it and to not lose a ton. If you know, We were really fortunate neither of them lost any time last year. If one of them got hurt, I think the offense would have really taken a big step back. Right. Um, and that, that's what I want to see. I want to see two or three receivers added to that room. And then I'd love to see training camp where it's Isaiah McKenzie and Duke Williams and Robert Foster and Andre Roberts all fighting for one roster spot. That's the kind of depth I want to see. Right. And that's the kind of depth that playoff teams have, realistic playoff contenders have, not just playoff teams. I think they know that they're a playoff team. They know that they can make it. They've made it two out of the last three years under Sean McDermott. But now that you have the guys that you have brought in under McDermott and, and Bean and Allen and Singletary, and you kind of have the groundwork has, has kind of been laid out, but they just need to add on to that and, and, and bring in um, more depth. And most people kind of have given me the, the balance of, well, experience over youth which one would you rather which one would you rather have and really now in in today's day and age greg it seems like teams are really going towards youth not just because of the age factor but because of the the financial factor and paying you know robbie anderson 12 million dollars a year as you said over getting a a solid stud like uh chase claypool or or somebody like that to be on a rookie contract 
I think is not only cost effective, but is just logical with a young offense as well. Youth mixed with youth. They've already started the youth movement here in Buffalo already. Well, and the nice part is they have established veterans in the room. You know, John Brown's going into his age 30 season. Right. Cole Beasley's going into age 31. They both have no sense of slowing down. They both are in that kind of, that size translates age-wise better mm-hmm. than a lot of bigger guys do. So I'm, I'm not worried about their production going into this year. But they can be that humble veteran leader that's there. You can afford to add two or three younger guys and say, hey, Watch what these guys do, taking care of their body, putting in the work, watching film, getting on jug machine after practice, you know, going through those kind of reps. Follow these guys and do what they do. And you already have that in place. That I, that's why I don't think, you know, I know people get excited. Don't get me wrong. Um, Amari Cooper is an awesome talent. And I'd be lying if I said it wouldn't be fun to have him on the Bills. But if you're telling me we got to pay $20 million to a receiver to add someone like that, I just, you know, that means no other free agent moves. That means no other major investment that, you know, it just means so many other things that I think we can do more by, you know, that amount of money you're talking about. We could add a defensive end and a right tackle and draft a receiver in the first couple rounds, and I'd rather use that combination of talent than just go after one guy, even though I admit he'd be fun. Um, I just don't see it being that. That's not the angle that I see them taking for building this team. Right, and they, they haven't really taken that angle yet. I know you know a year ago they went after Antonio Brown. There was that whole fiasco, and I'm so thankful that that didn't happen. Uh, I don't think we even need to expand on that. But as far as, um, as you mentioned, the defensive end, position that was the next position that I was kind of looking at as far as the Buffalo Bills go my biggest question heading into the offseason as far as a player that was on the team not named Trey White getting extended because I think Trey is one of the top players on the team but Shaq Lawson um, I don't know about you Greg but I haven't heard a peep as far as whether or not Buffalo is going to extend Shaq Lawson I haven't heard anything Um, what is your take on that well, so it's funny. It's a, such a reassuring luxury and also terribly frustrating. We were used to 20 years of just constant leaks coming out of one Bill's drive. Right. And now now it's a freaking steel vault. <laughs> we, we get nothing. So now that's reassuring from a leadership standpoint that everyone is bought in and no one will go through. And, and the, the literal version I got was Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott went person by person to the organization saying if they hear that that is the person who leaked it, they will be terminated, no questions asked. Right, right. And that was really so, – was that after the Antonio Brown thing or was that no, before no, that? that? That was yeah. early on. Yeah. That was early on. Um, so the, the Antonio Brown thing was purely from – Drew Rosenhaus feeding information to Lachinfora yeah. um, ahead of time. So they, either way, and, and that's actually one I, I always try to do. Uh, I'll do my take my medicine Mondays sometimes, and I'll find like terrible takes that I had. <laughs> I was way too excited about Antonio Brown. And <laughs> nobody knew the extent of the emotional and psychological issues that were in play. So, right. you know, kudos to Mike Tomlin for keeping that under wraps forever. Um, but nobody knew what was going to be from that standpoint. But from a Shaq Lawson standpoint, I think when you hear Brandon Bean talk, 
you can hear clear differences in the passive language he uses for Jordan Phillips when he says, you know, we really respect Jordan and he's earned the right to see what his value is on the market versus when he talks about Shaq Lawson, it's man, we'd love to have Shaq back. You know, we really think that there's a, uh, you know, something that we want to do to be able to work things out. He Mm -hmm. uses different language. Now he's not committing to anything. And, it all depends. If we can pay Shaq Lawson like one of the best run defenders in the NFL, I'm totally on board. If another team who scouted him coming out of Clemson thinks there's some untapped pass rush potential and wants to pay him like pass rushing defensive ends get paid, God bless him. I wish him all the best. Right, right. I'm, I'm right you know, there I with just, you. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not ready to pay Shaq. Shaq Lawson, $11 million. I'm just not. If we can get, you know, heck, if we can cut Trent Murphy and free up that $8 million and we give Shaq Lawson three years and $24 million, $8 million a year, I think that's a great deal. I think that respects the work that he's done. That's what rotational good run defenders get paid, even at the high end of that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't stop you from going out and signing a Robert Quinn or a Mario Addison or a you know, that kind of thing. Right. And, and I think that that's fair. And I mean, I think with Shaq Lawson, you kind of have to think of the beginning. They bring him in and obviously it was under Doug Whaley and, and Rex Ryan, and he wasn't really healthy the first year and a half that he was here. So it was one of those things where he's trying to find his footing. Then there's a coaching change, trying to get healthy. And really this past season was the first season where he actually had some some solid production. So are you going to pay a defensive end that, you know, has really only had one solid year with the Buffalo Bills, you know, 10, 11 million a year? I I just don't see it. Um, and I like Shaq Lawson. I think that he does have untapped potential, but not in the sense of what you're saying that, you know, a team would go out. I, I wouldn't be that general manager that would go out and pay him 11, 12 million bucks a season. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that it's all – it's all relative and it's mm-hmm. all finding the deal that, you know, they feel like respects his value and appreciates what he can bring to the team um, and matches what he'd get on the open market. And that's what his agent's job is. And Brandon Bean's job is to set that value and to hold firm to it um, and to be able to do what's right for the team. And unfortunately for Shaq, there's a fair amount of guys in that ballpark. You know, when you talk about Marcus Golden and Dante Fowler, and I already mentioned Robert Quinn and Mario Addison and Bud Dupree, and there's right. a lot of guys in that 9 to $13 million price range that if he all of a sudden overplays his hand and pushes, and you, you'll see an article coming out for me here tomorrow on my kind of projection of what I think um, Brandon Bean's going to do, you're going to see... I project them not re-signing Jack Lawson and letting Trent Murphy go and bringing in a combination of Robert Quinn and Mario Addison. And that if you, if he overplays his hand and then all of a sudden the Bills have someone signed and then it's musical chairs and he doesn't find the right opening, he could find himself like Quentin Spain was last year where all of a sudden it's May and you're still not signed. Um, or Jordan Phillips may find himself in that spot. And I'm curious if they're going to try to leverage that. Right, that'll be a huge. I, I like the idea of them having a, a tandem, you know, that that would be more cost effective and and essentially possibly better. I mean, Trent Murphy—that's another name that that we've thrown out here. That Trent Murphy has been so-so at best, you know, for the for the Bills based on the contract that they gave him. They obviously would like him to be more productive. And 
if they can cut him and, and get some cap relief from that, then I think that that would be a pretty solid option. Um, and I'm not I'm not advocating for Trent Murphy to not have a job. I'm not trying to be you know rude in saying that. Just from a football X's and O's you know analytics standpoint, he just hasn't really produced at the level that that you would hope, right? And it's hard. So yeah, I think you bring up a great point. If we release Trent Murphy, he'll be unemployed for like a week. Mm-hmm. You know, he is an NFL roster caliber player. The trouble is, he's a four or five million dollar guy that we're paying nine million. Now, with the cap space that we have, that's not the end of the world. If we go, if we don't re-sign Shaq Lawson and draft a guy early on, let's say we get Claybon Chazon in the first round coming out of uh, LSU. I don't hate a room of Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Clevon Chase on Daryl Johnson. Right, know, that, right. That's doable. Um, and then, you know, Murphy's deal is going to be up after this year. And then you go out and either draft another guy or sign a guy after that. That's not the end of the world. Now, I think we can upgrade from that. I think we can do even better than that. But I do see a scenario where Trent Murphy's still here. And thankfully, Brandon Bean took that, you know, dead cap medicine for us two years ago that we don't, you know, Bills fans are so conditioned to this time of year looking at the roster and saying, okay, which player can we most afford to cut to free up cap space for us? Right. And we're just so conditioned to doing that that we don't have to do that anymore. We have plenty of cap space plus a deep roster with a ton of talent. We don't have to go out and find guys to be able to get rid of. Now, we have two on the roster where if there's a guy neck and neck with them, at cutdown day, making the 53-man roster, and there's a tight end who's equal to Tyler Croft, that contract could come into play. If there's a defensive end who's equal to Trent Murphy, that could come into play. But if they're the best football players and are one of our top four defensive ends and one of our top four tight ends, they're going to make this team. And if not, they're going to get cut for football reasons, and the finances are just a bonus. Right. I I couldn't agree more. And you bring up the next position I was going to ask you about was the tight end position. I've had a lot of Bills fans kind of say, hey, I really wanted Greg Olson when Greg Olson got the one year for $7 I I didn't really want Greg Olson, and it's not from the standpoint that you know, I don't think he's talented. It's it's from a standpoint of that he is a little bit long in the tooth and that he has had his fair share of injuries plus one year seven million for Greg Olson. I just didn't see that as, as fully worth it, given that you have Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, and, and Croft, who I don't know about you, Greg, but I'm I'm not quite ready to give up on Croft just yet. I feel like it, it wouldn't really be fair to cut a tight end after one season where he was pretty much hurt and battled back and made an impact in that Pittsburgh game, had that big touchdown to to seal the deal for us to make the playoffs. I'm just not quite ready to get rid of Tyler Croft. What do you think of that take? Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think that you wouldn't have heard them talking about what a great teammate Tyler Croft was and how a lot of guys, when they get injured and then re-injured, really kind of fall back into a shell and just focus on themselves when this is really a scenario where he stayed really active talking with, you know, Tommy Sweeney and talking with Dawson Knox and supporting them and then got in and still made some contributions. He made a game winning touchdown, you know, against the Steelers. So I think he's a guy that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are rooting for. I think they'd love to see what a healthy off season and a full training camp can do to build chemistry and rapport with, um, with Josh Allen, and now 
you have the luxury to fall back on, hey, if he's not quite right, we have Dawson Knox, so we're probably okay. Um, I saw Greg Olson as kind of a special circumstance. You had a guy who wasn't going to mess up the finances, was going to sign a one- or two-year deal that they both intimately knew that was an NFL man-of-the-year winner. You talk about the value of bringing in a guy right, like Frank right. Orby on the field. That There was a lot more things that check that box and say, hey, we're not ready to move on from Tyler Croft, but if it's a chance to bring in a human like Greg Olson, that's the kind of guy we want in this locker room developing uh, Dawson Knox right. and fits in with that one- or two-year deal. I saw that as a very special circumstance of an individual that they were very interested in, much more than, hey, we have a hole at tight end. I actually don't expect them to be going after other free agent tight ends or honestly even that anything in the draft you know you're talking about going it maybe a cheap guy i think that maybe there's a tell that they announced this morning that levi wallace and robert foster's exclusive rights free agent deals were exercised right and they and they didn't announce that for jason croom so that means right now you have tyler croft lee smith Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney all under contract. That's four NFL caliber tight ends right now. I could maybe see the fact that um, Jason Kroon wasn't brought back. I think technically we own the rights to Nate Becker still um, as a futures deal. But I could see that maybe kicking the tires on a cheap low-end free agent somewhere to be able to bring someone in. But I just don't, I don't know that I see that unless just a value pops up. Um, that I can't deny. And I know there was a question you asked pre-show um, about a potential trade target. That's actually a spot where there's a guy that I have in mind that might be the kind of low, low risk, high reward deal that you could go after. And who would that guy be? You got to give it to us. So <laughs> I think that you know trades are you know interesting in the NFL. You you used to see none, and now we see some. Mm-hmm. It's not like the NBA trade deadline or, or baseball or hockey even. Um, it's always the lesser of the four, but there's more of them now. So there's some interesting guys. Uh, Gabe Jackson is a name that is out there as a guard who used to be coached by Bobby Johnson out in Oakland. He's got a little bit higher of a contract, but he's a fallback option if they can't reach a deal with Quentin Spain or if they decide they're not interested in moving Cody Ford to guard. But the name that really intrigues me is you have a whole new front office and coaching staff in Cleveland. You have a former first-round pick that hasn't really clicked with them but has a tremendous amount of upside. And if you had a chance to go out and on the cheap, and I don't know what cheap means, and that probably is, <laughs> you know impacts what the deal would be, right. David Njoku is just yeah. a ridiculous I, I love talent. It. And I, I would love to take advantage of the fact that you know, it's he wasn't one of the picks of this um, regime. He, you know, now it was kind of disgruntled last year. They had some, you know, some challenges in trying to get things on board. But you're talking about a guy, you know, at six four two fifty who ran a four six forty, you know, thirty seven and a half inch vertical, crazy broad jump, was just a phenomenal athlete. And now is still going into the final year of his rookie deal. You know, if they decide that they're not sure if they're going to re-sign him, he's still, you know, just going to be turning 24. I think there's some potential there. He's the kind of guy 
where that would intrigue me and that it would interest me in being able to go for an upside swing that you could get cheaply. And if you could do that for, you know, one of those kind of pick swap kind of deals that, hey, we'll give you our third for David Njoku and your fifth or something like that. Right, right. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I would do a second, but I, I think that he's a kind of special talent that it's worth trying to buy low on. I definitely agree with you, and that, and that is definitely a move that I would I would love. I mean, David Njoku was a tight end coming out of college that was so dominant and so freakishly athletic. Um, adding a dimension like that to your offense would be massive. Um, but I think they do like who they have too. You know, I, I definitely think that I, I, I we're both on to something. A deal. Yeah, I don't expect any moves. I, I think that the four tight ends we have are very likely to be the guys come cut down day and you know going back to training camp st john fisher i'm looking at the guys that i I wouldn't know not that guys that i wouldn't know but not guys that players that that are new you know players that are new i'm looking at players that maybe fifth sixth round draft choices tommy sweeney was a guy that i really liked um during the training camp process i was going to the training camp looking to find the diamond in the rough if you will wasn't really zeroing in on cole beasley or john brown because i i know what those guys bring they've been in the nfl for quite some time but a rookie tight end at a boston college i thought he was one of those training camp gems that that looked pretty good he caught a lot of really tough tough balls and also could block pretty well so i think they like what they have there and i definitely think that um that they're pretty set at that position but if they were to be able to bring in as you said you know a special circumstance a guy like a david njoku that would be massive and greg olson definitely does fall in line as that um man of the year great role model veteran he's been in every which situation as a player in a winning environment going to a super bowl to a losing environment um you know i think seattle definitely made sense due to the fact that Will Disley had that injury and he had some injuries there and he obviously wanted to play with Russell Wilson so you know one of those guys that I definitely think can still contribute but is is more of a great teammate my next question for you does not pertain to the Buffalo well I think this does pertain to the Buffalo Bills maybe not the actual organization roster wise but in terms of trying to get that AFC East title I think that's the next step for this organization. If they're going to take that next step and and really build on the success that they have had, winning that division is the easiest route to the playoffs. And I think the biggest storyline heading into this free agency period for me is none other than TB12, Tom Brady. Greg, what do you think is going to happen with this situation? I, I love to speculate. I love to think of the idea of Brady not being a New England Patriot, but I really want to get your take on this. What do you think is going to happen with Tom Brady? Yeah, so first, let let me recklessly speculate um, <laughs> about it's fun. where it's where fun. going to end up, but I'm going to preface it by saying, by far, the most likely scenario is Tom Brady wants to go on a tour of everybody telling him how wonderful he is and how amazing he is, and then he re-signs with the Patriots. Yeah, I, I, I think he holds their feet to the fire. I think he makes them go out and spend some money on, hey, I want you to bring back Joe Tooney. I don't want you to lose Ted Karras. I want you to go sign Emmanuel Sanders, and I want you to get me a tight end. And then, all right, I'll come back. So I think that's by far the most likely. Now, the one wrench that gets thrown in there is... Bill Belichick is making football decisions. 
mm-hmm. he is going to be willing to stretch beyond what he normally would, where he would like to pay a 43-year-old quarterback 20 to $25 million. I think he might even get up close to $30 million for two years um, and a $60 million deal and might even guarantee it because of the honor to the player. And that's huge. That's a huge stretch for him, way beyond what he normally would, and that he doesn't even normally do that. The challenge he's going to have is the owner of the Chargers, Dean Spanos, and the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis, are not making football decisions. They're making business decisions. They're going into a new city with a new stadium that they need to sell 50,000 PSLs to people. They can offer him two years and 90 million fully guaranteed 45 million dollars a year and they can make it up in psl sales the next week and just making that splash going into a city like la when the rams had a little bit of a step back and you want to take a stab hey la we will be your team it doesn't just have to be the rams or going into America's playground in Vegas and you want to talk about a guy that'll sell at all of the crazy entertainment venues in LA right, you want right. to put up billboards to compete with that and that's Tom Brady and that he can be that shining star then you get into he just lost or launched his 199 production uh company right where they're going to be making content his wife wants to launch the TV12 method health and wellness brand globally that's a little easier to do in los angeles than it is to do in boston now none of that changes the fact they can still bridge that for two years while he's playing there and launching his brand and launching his entertainment company from la he can still play two more years in new england and then go do that for the rest of his life so i don't want to pretend like that's some fait accompli that he's definitely leaving but for the people who think that this is all just a song and dance, I think there's a piece of him that feels like he is recognized as the greatest quarterback of all time, but he had Belichick the whole time. And I think there's a piece of him that is intrigued by the idea of, wouldn't it be awesome if I went and won that seventh ring without him? Right. And anybody's ego can get the better of them. So I, although I'm going to say it's, 60% that he returns to the Patriots. I don't think it's 90%. I don't. I, I think that it's I think that it's better than 50-50, but I don't think it's 90%. I think it's 60% in New England and then 20% each in LA, Las Vegas and Tennessee. When you go to a team that has that kind of structure with a coach he knows in Mike Vrabel and the rest of the infrastructure around there that they almost went to the freaking Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. Right. And now you plug in Tom Brady. Um, that's a pretty tempting situation. And it sounds like Antonio Brown is an automatic tag along wherever Brady goes. That That is something I've heard that they've stayed very closely in contact. And Brady has been mentoring him to kind of help get him back in the right path. And I know this is a, a little bit of a reach, I don't think it's crazy that he and Giselle want to use Brown as their example of, hey, look, we took this wild and crazy guy and we got him going on the TB12 method and look how successful he is now. I don't think that's crazy that they want to use him as their poster child of reclamation. Right. Um, And I think that that's the kind of stuff we're going to see uh, here. And I still am bracing for the fact that 
Tom Brady's going to be back in New England, and they're probably going to win the freaking division again. Um, but until I see him sign on the dotted line, I'm going to be rooting elsewhere. I I would like to see him go elsewhere for a lot of different reasons. Most obviously, I, I I'm tired of playing against him twice a year. But to the to the tune of what you said, that I think he does want to prove to Bill Belichick that he can do it without him. And I think if you could see Joe Montana playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, if you could see Brett Favre playing for the Jets and the Vikings, if you could see Peyton Manning playing for the Colts and then the Broncos, there is this day and age, it, we don't see players stay in one place too long. That's what makes guys like Derek Jeter so special. Played 20 years in, in New York City for the Yankees, like big media market, all that. These, Kobe, Bryant. Kobe Bryant, the late great Kobe Bryant, of course. And you have a, a lot of people out there, Bills fans, saying, well, I want him to stay because I want to beat him. A part of me is is that competitive. But another part of me, just from a, uh, a speculation or storyline standpoint, I guess the, the podcaster journalist in me says, I, I want to see him in another uniform. I want to see the spectacle of him playing somewhere else. I would actually enjoy that because it would give me the opportunity to maybe not root against him as much, but to see how it would how it would work without Bill Belichick. That's that's where I'm at. I want to see how well he would do without him or, or maybe not so well. You know? That could happen yeah, as well. There's a huge part of me that's curious about it. And for all the fans, I, I, I got into this debate a couple times on Twitter with people. I will not deny that the Bills winning the division and winning the championship by beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is better. Right. But all I care about is sustained success for the Buffalo Bills. I don't right. care if it comes beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I'm not going to celebrate less if Brady leaves and then Teddy Bridgewater has a 9-7 right. season in New England. And be like, well... Yeah, I mean, we won the division, but it doesn't really count. Bullshit. Yeah, no, it counts. Like, I, yeah, it definitely counts. Like, I don't care. Right. Like, <laughs> and I'm not denying it would be better, and it would be cool to also stomp them and, and whip them with Brady and Belichick, but I don't need that. And any fan who's saying that, oh, beating a 43-year-old Brady when he's already obviously over the hill does anything to take away 20 years of dominance and the six trophies it doesn't take any of it away right 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 it doesn't do anything and i think as well you know you mentioned new england has to get those weapons for him they have to bring in you know maybe an austin hooper at tight end they have to bring in maybe as you mentioned emmanuel sanders or, or somebody like that to make the offense better and you look across the league, you know, with the Chargers, they got weapons. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they got weapons. Um, Vegas, would he be able to recruit some weapons like an Antonio Brown back to the Raiders? Um, there are options for him, you know, elsewhere that I would say on paper are far better than the Patriots in terms of offensive skill set players. So I think that that is what makes this storyline so intriguing and makes it, I think, the biggest storyline of this offseason, I would say. I mean, he's the best quarterback of all time. I know you probably didn't think this would happen as far as us talking about him playing for another team. I thought it was possible if he wants to keep playing as long as he's been playing, he'll play until the wheels fall off. And it looks like he's going to play until the wheels fall off. (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I mean, it's it's something where we've certainly seen plenty of the other side of that. You know, everybody remembers O.J. Simpson in San Francisco and Joe Namath right. in the Rams, and you know Franco Harris in Seattle, and even to a lesser extent, you then saw. You know, Joe Montana and the Chiefs still had some success. You saw Peyton Manning go on and win a Super Bowl with Denver. So I think there are times where you had guys who seemed aligned with that franchise forever and still had that little last dalliance at the end. And obviously Brady has shown his desire to continue playing is higher than his desire to retire as only a Patriot. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. He's got that drive. He's got that hunger. And I, I think this offseason, we're, we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff. It, Greg, it was great talking to you. Um, we'll definitely do this again. We got a lot to dive into uh, as far as you know the next few weeks. I'm sure the Buffalo Bills will have some new free agents. Uh, and I'm sure you know, you'll know you be on during draft time. So uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Thomas Take Sports Podcast today. And uh Good luck with uh, the rest of your off-season coverage. Not that the luck is needed. You are uh, dialed in, to say the least. you got some articles coming out today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Got some fun stuff going out and uh, uh, looking forward to it. It's a, it's a fun time of year. Love your work here on Tom Sakes and with uh, all, all the guys over at Trainwreck. And uh, have a good time, man. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Take care, buddy. Appreciate it. Greg Thompson, ladies and gentlemen.